LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Derek Hanna. And I'm Scott Sanders. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel-centred ministry every week. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to our first chaired debate in The One Thing. Yes. This is quite exciting. It is a little bit exciting. Yeah, this is the first one we've done. We're going to introduce Mark Hadley, who's going to be our uh, mediator very soon. I mean, but... kind of, it is the first It is the first one we've done on air. We regularly have a to-and-fro nature in the office. Yes. It's kind of, it's electric. Yes. Does it embarrass you to say that I usually win those arguments? No, that doesn't embarrass me at all. <laughs> it's not true. Anyway, The One Thing is brought to you... Thanks to Geneva Push, the Australian Church Planting Network. We are also proudly part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network, and we would love you to check out the network page on iTunes and all the other Christian podcasts we are partnering with across the world. But for now, you've pressed play on episode 65 of The One Thing. Brothers, we are not professionals. Now, this is this topic's kind of come up in the in the context of a book that you know we were encouraged to read when we went through college. So Derek and I went through college oh, years ago, fifteen years ago, and a book from John Piper, which is which he's redone more recently. Uh, Brothers, we are not professionals. Sort of hit the scene, and uh, and and from John John Piper was really discouraged by the language of professionalism and and what he saw was happening in the world of the of pastoral ministry where more and more pastors were encouraged, I guess in the context of the preaching you know, function in church, to copy professional media folks and the cool anti-heroes, the sort of co- comedians, you know, do all that sort of work on being the best communicator you can be, rather than actually spending your time in your study, deep in prayer um, and dependence on God to do the supernatural work you know, that is ministry. Yep. Okay, so Scott, what side are you going to take in this debate? Oh, I'm going to take the affirmative. We could stand to be more professional. Okay, and I am going to stand with the Reformed Historic Church and take the side of we've got to be careful that professionalism doesn't take over. Okay, well, but... Uh... We need Lee Sales. And unfortunately, you've got me. Okay, so I'm, I'm Mark Hadley, and I'm stepping in to be the mediator, which basically means that I'll be breaking all clinch locks across the table or the throwing of chairs and equipment. Uh, guys, this is how we're going to run it. I'm going to put a question to you. You're going to get a minute each to respond. And when I feel that you've had enough time or a minute, I'll then turn to the other guy to sort of give us a, maybe another perspective on that question. Here we go with professionalism. Let's begin with, is ministry becoming too professionalised? Scott. I'm going to say no, I don't think it is. Uh, I think there's still a lot of places in our church life uh, we're actually doing things uh, poorly uh, as, as leaders. Uh, we're not managing ourselves well. Uh, we're not managing our, our teams well. Uh, and they're just two skill areas where I think uh, as Christian ministry leaders, we can actually um, you know, do some training, uh, read some books, and actually get better at, at leading ourselves and, uh, and leading others. Well, that, the debate's over. Unless you've got something to say, Derek, are we becoming too professionalised? No, no, I'm okay with that. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think I would want to push back on the word professionalised. So it's not as if I don't uh, agree with some of the stuff Scott said there, um, but actually that word professionalised is an unhelpful word. Let me throw it back to you. What, are you happy with that word, Scott? Yeah, I guess I guess if we define prof- professional as being you know clean and excellent and... Um, you know, and the best, then I think I'm unhelpful. If we define professionalised as, um, you know, moving towards, you know, growing and developing as a leader so that you're, uh, you know, getting better at those things, then um, then I'd argue, um, 
that that's something that we want to see in the, in the local church. Well, let's take it to the local church. Derek, how about you begin by answering the question, can professionalism impact negatively at the local level of the church? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, how have you seen it? Give us an idea of what you're talking about. All right. Um, so one of the challenges in the local church is having people engaged within the mission of the local church. And however you want to define, let's just say for the sake of this conversation here, a, a high bar for being engaged in the activities of the local church and the mission, the higher you raise that bar, the fewer people are going to hit that bar and therefore the fewer people are going to be engaged in gospel ministry. And so yeah, that's where it can the, the rubber can hit the road but in, But in some contexts that's really important. You know, you, you don't want to have someone in, in music ministry, for example, who can't play the guitar well. Or you don't want to have someone singing at the front who regularly goes, you know, off track or or, or can't actually come in on, you know, on time. As you know, the Spirit been, leads God. We've all been we've all been in churches where that's happened and and just gone, you know, haven't you haven't you practiced? Haven't you you know, don't you want to serve us and the body by actually you know, singing well and, and playing music, you know, well? Well, obviously you've got something to say at this point, Scott, so let's go to your time Oh, that, that's a question. I'll just I'll ask you that question. <laughs> no, I think it's fair to say. Okay, so when you look at the local church uh, and the way that congregations have actually presented themselves uh, and the way that leadership has acted, have you seen any negatives? Did you say there are no negatives in the way that professionalism has impacted on the operation of local church? No, I wouldn't say that, but I'm trying to get a debate here. <laughs> I'm trying to get a debate. I'm, try, I'm trying to give more specific examples of where, uh, you know, uh, yeah, where we, we actually see uh, that impacting our ability to take the, you know, take the gospel out. Helpfully, you know, right, rightfully you point, uh, you point out that, you know, people can, can feel like they can't be involved in mission because they're not the professional ministry type. Mm. I, I think, you know, partly that's come to a, a lack of the senior pastor or the, the pastoral team actually not being able to actually empower and delegate you know, people in ministry. So it's not because they're necessarily the best, because often, you know, guys in pastoral ministry, are, you know, aren't the best evangelists. But what they're not good at is actually empowering and delegating, you know, ministry responsibility over to, you know, over to lay people or actually uh, helping, um, you know, helping communicate and uh, and build a picture or build structures and systems that can actually help, you know, lay people get involved in evangelism mission. Okay, so would you say then, Derek, that the, the high bar that you're talking about, that people are falling under, the the failure of professionalism is not in setting a high bar, but in actually lifting people up to that bar. I would 100% agree with that. That is exactly the problem. That I have, I agree, Scott. If you can't play guitar, you don't play guitar up front. I 100% agree. And the larger a church grows, the probably more capable the people who are at the front need to be in order to effectively and helpfully serve the people who are in the audience. I'm just talking Sundays at the moment. But as soon as you don't have a plan or you, you just buy people into those positions from outside in order to fill a high bar, that is the point that you undermine uh, the Ephesians 4 body mentality. You aren't discipling, you aren't growing, you aren't being deliberate. So I agree. It's when you don't have movement and you don't go low and lift people up, that's the point at which you have a and I so, think So hang on, just want to clarify. It. So the goals of professionalism without the help is actually a negative. Yeah, I don't like the word professionalism, but I know we're using it. But yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good summary. I, yeah. I think one of the unhelpful terms that's come into the sort of the church growth literature and the, you know, the pr- church pragmatics li- literature is that is that uh, that phrase excellence. You know, you want to have excellence. Now, in part, it's tied to a size thing, but excellence is the wrong thing. You know, you've, you've used the language of the body. What are, we, what are we doing when we're gathering together? Well, we, we are as as a body of Christ, you know, seeking to love each other, seeking to remind each other, and, um, uh, you know, about the greatness of God. Now, you know, so there is... There is there is a there's something supernatural happening there 
um, you know, this is this is what we're doing as we as we seek to gather together. And so excellence is not the right term, but mm. but we do want to have um, you know we we want people you know as they pray you know to be you know praying expectantly and and in a compelling manner. We want someone to 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 beforehand you know reflect on a passage and and that should inform their prayers. Um, we don't want you know so excellence is not the right word for that. We well, we do want people to. Um, you know, to work hard to to be growing. You know, at being you know better and better at, at reading the Bible or mm. um, or playing music or, or leading us. You know, there there is a skill to to leading a flowing service. Let me just pause. Talk about the one thing as part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Let me just talk about one of our partner podcasts, Five LQ with Todd and Daniel. We love these guys. Uh, they have uh, people on like Scott Sauls, Paul Tripp, Russell Moore. They break down books like The Advantage and Four Disciplines of Execution. Um, look up Five LQ or Five Leadership Questions. Uh, it's excellent. Now back to today's topic. Where are we, Mark? Okay, time marches on, gentlemen. So I'm going to push us on to the third question: Are professional presentation concerns changing the nature of church, Derek? Yeah, they are. I'm not saying it's negative. Just saying, yeah, I agree. That is, that's true. And again, it's depending on where you live. Scott's a church in Surrey Hills. And, you know, I had breakfast with our steward this morning and we were talking about church. And one of the things that he said about Surrey Hills, they have a very high level of expectation about what happens at the front. So Toby's very deliberate about that. And he needs to be because of the context that he exists within. And again, that will be true uh, within large churches as opposed to small churches, inner city to country. And so, sure, it, it may be more true or more evident in different ways because of our society than it has been in the past. But I would probably put forward as well, large churches in the past have probably done things with a higher level of professionalism or excellence as well. It just would look slightly different. Okay, so I just want to follow this through. You've raised the question of context. Over to you, Scott. Derek says that, that context matters in terms of how rigidly you might uh, hang on these sort of goals uh, of professionalism. And I know no, none of us like the word, but it's the best one we've got for the moment. So is there a mistake sometimes when somebody says, look, I'm a church of 60 in the country and I'm going to make it just like Hillsong? Is that a mistake, or should we all be aiming for the same levels? Definitely, I think. I mean, I think that's a, that's a mistake because, uh, for for one, you know, to be able to pull off the production value of, of Hillsong every week is is impossible for a church of sixty. Uh, you know, secondly, as well, um, when you're putting, you know, uh, when you're, uh, you know, people probably going to a, a local country church, they're not expecting to get a Hillsong experience. So, so that will will put you know, put a lot of people off. I mean, what's interesting in, in, in Derek's comment is, you know, what's the re- asking the question, what's the reasoning behind, you know, Toby, you know, pushing for a, a higher level of professionalism in the service? You know, it's it's because he wants to reach the outsider who in the context of Surrey Hills, you know, you know, wears a collared shirt to church, wears nice clothes, you know, so so thinking about how someone is dressed is important because you're trying to communicate uh, and contextualise the gospel to them. Uh, so, so if the desire is to, to you know, do things better so that you might you know be a better church, you know, than the other churches around the place. And I think that's the wrong desire. But if your desire is to is motivated from a desire to uh, contextualise the gospel and to to reach people more effectively and to reduce the barriers that people have, you know, as they come to your church, then, then I think that's a that's that's a far better reason, you know, reasoning. Which takes a lot of thought, yeah. doesn't it? It takes yeah. a huge amount of thought, even for the scale thing, as I've touched on a couple of times. Um, you can't replicate. So some churches who are big and they've moved to multi site they try to replicate the 600-person service in a 30-person room. 
it feels weird and yep. awkward. And so no work has been done to contextualise. You can take the DNA, but yeah, they would say these are professionally run. We think, yeah, okay, sure, but they're just awkward. And so they're actually not thoughtful in any way. Okay, look, we've been talking a bit about scale. How about we actually push into a different side of it? Is there a point when which someone can say, look, I just don't like church anymore. The more you professionalise it, the more I don't like it. What would you say about that, Scott? Well, there, there is a point. I mean, we're, we're people and we're human beings and we feel things. Uh, and and uh, and as a pastor, we need to you know ask those questions. We need to listen to listen to hear listen to and hear people's concerns. Uh, and and our job as pastoring people is you know is to be moving you know moving them somewhere. And and I think often part of this. Uh, you know, that part of this pushback against professionals is, we, we, you know, we want church to go back to when, you know, when it was folksy, when it was, you know, small and low key, when, when Derek could play his guitar, you know, because we always loved, we loved hearing Derek play the guitar. Gee, he was good. People but but, but the reality is church often moves to a, uh, you know, to a, moves to a different size. And, and so it's not, it's not at any any less desire and concern to pastor people or to be a church that's loving you know, one another. But there is a reality that as, we, as a church grows and gets past a certain size, there is a need uh, you know, to give more attention to not having Derek playing guitar and having people who are you know, potentially you know, better musicians and better able to, um, uh, to lead us. I, I but heard I, Andrew Heard put it this way, that he said that different size families just have to do things differently. That's it. So he uses the example of, you know, a, a four-kid family. You know, it requires a roster. It requires, you know, structure. It requires you to, um, you know, just to, just to manage life. You know, you can't just kind of, you know, go go about things uh, and, and expect them to happen. You actually need to um, need to manage that. But but I think behind all this is is actually helping helping people see that and understand it. And that's you know that's the role of a pastor. As as you're moving you know moving through change, particularly in a church plant, you're moving through you know often quite fast, and and you're actually experiencing that by moving out of you know the community centre or uh, you know moving into a larger space. Uh, you're you're moving from a house party with 25 to a house party with 175. You you, you know you're moving to relationships where you, you can't know everybody. Now it's important, I think, as as pastors and leaders, that we actually help people. You know, see these are natural. You know, natural change. There's a natural change that's going to take place. And and again, isn't this wonderful? We've now got more Derricks. You know, in our church service, we've now got you know more people who are engaging with uh, with with Jesus. Isn't that isn't that exciting? That's and look, loath as I am to dis- to agree with Scott. Um, <laughs> and look, the reality is in this, we are actually on pretty much the same page. All but. It's interesting you take this scaling growth barrier question and you put it in a slightly different context and it's exactly the same issues. Take, for example, you have a church that starts off with 30, all Anglos, all Anglo-Saxon. Over time, they grow to 60, 70, but the growth is all multicultural, all from Southeast Asia. Let's say that. It changes the chemistry within the church. People will have exactly the same issue. Different people might have issues because it'll be the same thing. This isn't what we... You know, what it used to be, it's different. We're not saying it's bad, but we just don't feel as comfortable here anymore. That's the same as moving from 30 to 120 and 200. And so the question in that is, not is um, should you ever change, because, you know, the gospel brings about change. Internally, we want to see the gospel growing, is as the leader, how am I casting the vision so people cope with that change? They cope with the growth barriers. They see why we're doing it. They, they welcome the outsider in, irrespective of whether they're the same, because... You know, in Christ, we are all one. And so the question for me is not not so much should things change, but how is it that we as leaders help people cope with that change? Mm. How they see that change through a gospel lens? That's the job of the leader. 
Well, let's think about something that was raised a little earlier in our discussion in terms of professionalism. Professionalism and, say, the average pew sitter. I don't know if you have pews or if you have ergonomic lounges now in some popular churches. It'd be wonderful. But is it pushing you out? I'll give you this example, for example. We're intent on people hearing the word of God clearly spoken, so we decide anybody with a heavy accent can't read the Bible out loud. I could equally push back and say we're intent on pushing the gospel out, so we want to have someone with a heavy accent because we're trying to reach those people with a heavy accent. I think what's important behind this and where a lot of the conflict happens is that a pastor hasn't done the hard work of communicating the why and communicating the why of why we're doing this. Because if we've been leading up front at church or we've been involved in a ministry and we're you know we're pushed out you know for uh, you know for certain reasons, often I think it's because a pastor hasn't communicated the why of why we're making those changes and that's and that's important um it's important because we're we're doing people ministry here you know so it's important to recognize that that pastoral ministry is people ministry and so a lot of those things need to be communicated and they need to be need to be giving clear reasons for and i and i can i can speak about uh you know about vine church because that's my church you know i've got to wear shoes uh on a sunday when i get up you know get up the front to lead and i i get i like wearing thongs to church and I've got to wear shoes when I when I lead, and and it really frustrates it's me. Such an imposition. It on is your such an imposition, especially there, yeah. in the middle of summer. We don't have air conditioning in our church. It's hot. I don't. You know, does it really make that much of a difference? Well, yeah, it, for Toby, um, and you know, it does. He's had to communicate that with me. I put on shoes. I shave. I put on a collared shirt when I lead. You know, when I lead church. Well, let me let me follow that up. That he's actually explained to you that as part of our strategy That's of meeting people, you need to wear shoes, and this is why shoeless people are not going to be up the front. Correct. He's explained it, and, and that makes perfect sense. When I look at the visitors that come to our church, I do see people wearing sports jackets. I do, um, I do see people, you know, uh, thinking and seeing uh, seeing those things. Now, is that professionalism? No, that that's a that's a desire, to, you know, to, for the gospel to be, you know, taken out to Surrey Hills, uh, and and that's important. Okay, Derek, anything to add to that? Yeah, well, it's a bit different in Queensland to Surrey Hills because in Queensland pants are optional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Sorry, I mean, I believe you mean shorts could oh, be the other yeah, side. Yeah, 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 that as well. That's true. Um, yeah, look again, and Scott's right. It's the why. It comes down to the how is it we communicate this in the context that we are, and how do we help people understand? Because often the pushback against this would be, well, what about the person with perhaps learning difficulties or who is socially awkward or you know who just sit on the fringes of society for some other way why can't they be involved in the service as equally as everyone else and so you you do need to address that question well and there might be no good reason why they can't actually and so a pastor needs to be thinking contextually about that not only about for what is good for the whole, and maybe that's a challenge about what is good for the whole as well as the individual, but how it is we, we nurture and, and shepherd individuals within the whole. You think about the average person and how they relate to, say, um, the determination that a service will run one hour and 15 minutes or no longer or something like that. How do you see them relating to that? We, we do a lot of sloppy, you know, we've got a lot of sloppy service leaders who, who, who don't do good transitions, who don't spend the time to get, you know, things down to, you know, one or two sentences, who don't spend time thinking about crafting announcements. The reason we had a podcast on announcements because I was getting frustrated so many announcements that weren't clear and sharp. You know, I'd encourage a lot of church pastors to put them on video so that, so that you know, they are clear and sharp. That's spoken like an inner city hipster. 
you know, where, you know, in the country, you know, in kind of, you know, suburbia. So let me speak as a busy dad, you know, or a busy children's minister who, who I've been looking, you know, caring for kids, working through a program for an hour already. Mm. And now the church has gone to an hour and a half. Now I had a tight program because we said we'd have a tight, you know, we, we said kids at ch- church would go for an hour. And I'm, and I, and I don't have any other games, you know, and, and I've run out of uh, things to do. And the kid, you know, my kids with learning difficulties are now, you know, they're now hit, hit their limit and they need their parents to, you know, re- reorientate. So let me tell you about that person. That's that's me. That's you. I feel your pain, Scott. But that's a, cont- a contextual question. No, that's, every, that's church every week. No, yeah, but for you, for, so in other contexts, that may be okay. The kind of folksy charm, the kind of whimsical person up the front, in some contexts may actually play well. Just do it tightly and do it an hour and 15 minutes. See, that's you in a city. I'm saying that doesn't work everywhere. And that's the whole thing. It actually needs to be deliberate. I reckon that's the word. It means to be deliberate. We're going to tell you a bit about us and you'll find out that we're just normal people. And then we're going to look at what God says a marriage is. And it's actually a really lovely, it's a beautiful picture. And we're going to look at some of the marriage research, which shows that marriages that work well actually fit really neatly of what the Bible says about marriage. That's Keith and Sarah Condy from Building a Safe and Strong Marriage. It's a biblically-based course that uses the tenets of the Bible combined with current marriage research to help couples think through how to make their marriage better. Find out more, download the course, or buy the DVD, participant workbooks and facilitator manuals at buildingmarriage.com.au. We've got three Building a Safe and Strong Marriage courses to give away. So for the best three questions that are put up on our Facebook page over the next month, you'll have all the bells and whistles from this course sent to you. Give us your questions. Okay, well, look, we've jumped right off the script, so I'm going to just throw in a hand grenade for the heck of it. Mm. Uh, in multicultural ministry, it's actually considered to be quite important that people see themselves up the front so as to be able to have a sense of belonging. Apply that then to people who are disabled. How are you going to do it? It's not going to fit in a context of, as you've raised earlier, the question of excellence. You couldn't possibly have them up the front. And yet we want them to see themselves and feel that they're part of the totally. congregation. Totally. And, that, and, that, and that's where I, I'm not pushing for excellence. I mm. think excellence is the wrong word. I think we want to have a, a, you know, a culture that has participation and has people participating. So I think there are lo- you know, th- we need to think into ways to allow the disabled person to, um, to engage in service. Now, now that, that, uh, that, that could be... Uh, you know, that could be, you know, when you're thinking about kids' ministry and, and you've got a disabled child, you, you know, you're not creating barriers. You're creating a, a, an opportunity for them to all sing together and for them all to participate. Okay, so it does sound like we're moving towards a consensus that professionalism is a tool, uh, not necessarily a master. If you've got one thing to say, Derek, what would it be when it comes to considering professionalism and the way it impacts on church? What would you say? You have to be deliberate about what you do so that you do not lose sight of the individual you're shepherding within the whole flock. So it's not about you and your goals. It's actually about the people you're shepherding. Okay, and Scott, over to you. If you had one thing to leave us with, what would it be? I would encourage us. Uh, I think uh, Piper's prayer at the start of uh, his book is is helpful. We, we want to see passionate prayer. We want to see a poverty of spirit. We want to see a hunger for God. We want to see you know a rigorous study of holy things, white hot devotion to Jesus Christ. You know utter indifference at material gain and unremitting labour to rescue the perishing, uh, perfect the saints, and to glorify our sovereign Lord. We want to see all that. Um, and and what does that mean for the professional pastor or for the pastor? It means they've got to continue to to grow uh, in their 
yes, in their knowledge and their love of Jesus, but also in their ability to pastor and lead this group of people. So I want to encourage pastors to keep growing uh, in their skill of, uh, of pastoring. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this episode. What's coming up next week? That's a great question. Next week, first of a special four-part series about the key things we need to know about growth barriers. Now, we're going to be flying around the country. We're going to talk to people who've done it. I can't wait. I'm Scott Sanders. I'm Derek Hanna. Chat soon.